their heart and mind is really inspiration how do you build their heart and mind they want to be inspired and you know they want to be inspired because they are clearly innovators in the space who have been reacting to the trail that you've been leaving behind Welcome to the CMO Stories podcast, brought to you by Fortella. This podcast series features marketing executives explaining how they're upending the fundamental approach to marketing to get above leads and tactics and instead focus on revenue goals. And now, on with our show. If you're marketing products and services in existing, well-established categories, you can find lots of tried and tested, proven marketing practices. But how do you market a new product category in the digital age where the category may not even have a name or there are no Gartner magic quadrants or like-for-like competitors? My name is Rahul Sashdev and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Fortella, a revenue-driven marketing software company. And I know that problem firsthand. My company, Fortella, empowers CMOs and marketing leaders to plan and execute marketing actions, not by traditional lead or campaign level metrics, but by pipeline. And when we started uh, marketing our product, our target buyers intuitively understood that revenue is a true north of marketing, but there were no systems or applications for planning, forecasting, tracking, and executing marketing pipeline goals. So we created such a system. We didn't know what to call it or how to find uh, and market to those early adopters who shared our vision, who were willing to take a leap of faith. And I was surprised by the lack of published literature on proven practices for new category marketing. So we created our own marketing playbook. But there are CMOs and marketing leaders who are successfully marketing new category products. One such marketing leader is Priya Rajan. Priya is a highly regarded leader in the technology and payment space with more than two decades of experience. Uh, she's the global head of marketing at DataVisor, which is a, an AI-based fraud prevention company. And since joining the company, she's been driving growth and expansion for that company and uh, advancing their brand awareness and thought leadership in the space. And she knows one or two things about category creation. So under her leadership, DataVisors become this sort of category leader and transformed the existing fault prevention category. And to give you some examples, DataVisor was named as Gartner's cool vendor for identity and access management, leader in the marketscape for enterprise fraud management, and most recently Forbes' top 25 machine learning startups to watch in 2021. And this is not Priya's first rodeo. She was previously in leadership roles at category-defining companies like Nutanix and and Adaptive Insights. So without further ado, let's talk to Priya. So hi, Priya. Uh, You are the global head of marketing at DataVisor. Can you tell us more about DataVisor and your role, what your role involves? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Rahul, for having me here. And I'm very excited to tell the story of uh, DataVisor as well as my experience. So uh, DataVisor is actually a very exciting company. We are at the intersection of 
uh, big data, AI, and ML uh, for fraud and risk management. So we basically protect organizations across the world uh, from fraud and risk and any kind of malicious activity. Uh, Datavisor has clients worldwide. We're located in, we have clients in the US, in Asia, and in Europe. Uh, we protect over uh, 4 billion user accounts worldwide. Um, and we're really in the forefront of using machine learning for uh, fraud prevention. Um, and as far as myself, I've been at Datavisor pretty close to three years now. Um, I'm the global head of marketing. I manage the full marketing stack um, all the way from brand, AR, and PR uh, to driving revenue for us uh, through uh, demand generation. So very excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, you have pretty diverse set of experiences and somewhat unusual as a marketer. Uh, you know, prior to Datavisor, you were in marketing leadership at uh, Feedzai, uh, another AI company that was helping banks and you know payment providers and retailers uh, to deal with uh, financial and sh uh, shopping fraud. But you were also in senior marketing roles at Adaptive Insights, uh, a financial planning company. But here's the interesting thing that I didn't know about until I met you, that you were, you started your career not in marketing, but in finance at Nutanix before you moved into marketing. What made you get into marketing? <laughs> Thank you, Rahul, for bringing that up because that's a question I very often get. I actually mentor uh, students at uh, Berkeley High School of Business, and this is a question that always comes up. And you know, as a marketer, it's really all about the story, right? So I am a very unconventional marketer. And I think uh, to my strength, I think that's really what makes me very effective and successful at what I do. Um, so when I was at Nutanix, you know, I was more in the strategic role of working with um, sales and marketing teams uh, to build you know, high valuation models because we were kind of going through a very high growth phase at that point. And so our goal was really to work with uh, marketing and sales, clearly you know, uh, two very important functions in the company when it comes to uh, revenue growth. And, and uh, you know, my role was to build an, uh, a planning and a predictive model uh, around uh, our leads and then our leads conver uh, conversion and, you know, and leading up to it, uh, the revenue forecasting, right? And, 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 you know, I feel tremendously lucky for having worked in the organization like that and having, um, you know, managers and leaders who guided me because it gave me very valuable insight and experience in understanding what really moves marketing and sales, you know, what are the different levers that you can pull uh, and how does that really affect you know, marketing pipeline, what drives conversion? How can you predict it, you know, into a sales model for revenue forecasting? Um, and at that time, you know, I really enjoyed the strategy. I really enjoyed building the planning. But as I was working with those teams, what I really felt was, you know, I kind of lacked the the, the uh, responsibility of execution, right? And I kind of wanted to not just be in this in this role of defining the strategy, uh, but I also wanted to follow it all the way through execution. And hence, you know, kind of my leap into uh, marketing, which was, you know, an area of interest to me. And, you know, and I really found as I kind of made that transition, marketing is really the true headlights of the company, right? 
right? Um, if you were a traditional marketer, which I'm really not, um, you know, I often find that the expectation from marketing is uh, tends to be very short term, right? You know, how many leads are you creating? How many MQLs are you creating? Are they converting? And a lot of that is really focused on what is the product that I have today and what is the problem that I'm solving for today, right? But as a marketer, you know, or, or as being a marketing leader and, um, you know, you have to have this vision of thinking about not just the demand that you are creating today, but how are you going to create sustainable demand, uh, you know, three, five years from now and really working in that strategic role, thinking about three-year plans, five-year plans. It really made me think about, you know, how do you position marketing for the future and kind of keep the steady stream of, um, you know, revenue growth and, uh, and demand generation, not only in the first, uh, not only in the short term, right? Like, you know, six months to 12 months, but really into the horizon of, you know, three to five years. And so, um, you know, uh, it's an interesting shift for sure, but uh, definitely ties in with what I was doing before and, you know, how I kind of wanted to um, implement those experiences, you know, through through marketing. That's great. And I want to definitely talk to you about metrics. Uh, but before do I do that, I want to talk, start with this area of category creation. Uh, when we started our company, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge that we faced. And when I looked out there, there is actually not a ton of literature out there or proven practices of how it's done. And maybe it does need that untraditional marketer and non-traditional marketer to do it. And you've faced that challenge of category creation at not one, but two different companies with very two, two very different solutions, Nutanix and DataVisor. So as a CMO, how do you go about creating a category? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, Rahul, because as a marketer, you know, uh, or, or more specifically, like as a product marketer, category creation is a holy grail, right? Like we all want to be part of it. We all want to be this person who, you know, who defined a magic quadrant category and so on. Um, you know, and I think th that's why I think about it a little differently because I think category creation is really you know, uh, kind of like the, you know, the tail wagging the dog, right? The first thing that you really have to think about is what is the problem that, I, that you know, you're really solving in the market? What, what problem does this product solve? What problem does this company solve, right? That, that's the very first question because at the end of the day, everything begins with the customer and, you know, and, and those customers have to believe that, this problem needs to be solved because at the end of the day, there are many problems, but this is a problem that's worth solving and worth paying for. And then the next question really is, how is this problem being solved, right? And there are various ways that you go about with it. You know, it could be a problem that's being solved in an incremental way. Think about, you know, a watch that you used to have before you have an analog watch, now you have a digital watch, that's not a category creation, right? That's just, you know, incremental steps uh, or, or kind of like the next evolution of that product. But if you think about a traditional watch and an Apple watch that dramatically uh, uh, changes things, right? It's a game changer because I'm not looking at a watch to look at their time. I'm looking at it as, you know, a fitness device, something to manage my health around. And now you're talking about category creation. So the first thing is, you know, 
having to understand where does your product fit into an existing category you know are you an adjacency is this an, are you creating incremental value is this uh, providing benefits obviously in a different way but that's not transformational so in our case if you look at datavisor you know clearly there are you know a ton of legacy solutions in the market. You know, people use rules-based uh, system for fraud detection, and there are supervised machine learning solutions for fraud detection. But if you're only creating incremental solution, it's not a category. In our case, we think of ourselves as category creators because traditional solutions have always relied on looking at existing problems and solving for existing problems. Whereas, you know, we look at it as, hey, can we uncover fraud that you've never seen before? Can we look at new patterns? You know, can we look at emerging patterns without even having knowledge of it, right? Those are the ones that really define what a new category is, right? And to be able to understand if it is a new category, you need to know what's an existing category, right? So when I kind of looked at where we fit in the ecosystem, I not just looked at, you know, reports that DataVisor would be in, but also adjacencies, like would we belong, for example, in identity management? Would we belong, for example, in cybersecurity, right? So for every industry and every product, you know, you kind of have to go through this, you know, self-exploration process of understanding, you know, where do you fit in? And if your product really solves that problem in a transformational way, because it redefines how people do things, then, you know, you have a winning category in place, right? But that's not to say that, you know, having a new defined category is, is your ultimate goal. You could still be in an existing category, but be a leader in that category because you do solve for problems in a different way, which could still be a viable, successful alternative to just going down the path of category creation just for the sake of doing it. That's interesting. So you know, you could you could take an existing category and and sort of extend it or modify it or create a new one. But to me, there is a tactical question here, which is how do you know? what to call the category? And does it even matter what you call it? Do you, for example, spend a lot of time hiring branding agencies to come up with the right name? Or do you just let the market define it? Or do you take an existing category and sort of redefine that? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think the question over here also leads to um, you know, your resources, right? Like how much budget you have, for example, in a very uh, tactical sense of a way, right? I love working with brand agencies, you know, clearly they are experts in their field and they do come up with, you know, ideas that, you know, we generally don't come up with because we're, you know, probably a little bit closer, uh, you know, to the product and closer to reality and you need some level of abstraction and inspiration to be able to um, you know think about it in a in a different dimension let's put it that way right so agencies do have a role i love working with agencies but as you know marketers we all know that not everybody has you know uh, uh, can drop half a million for an agency work right but i think regardless of whether you use an agency or not and whether you know um, uh, whether you use internal resources the real question is you know going back to your customers right you define the problem you know how you're solving for that problem now your customers have to resonate with it right do they talk to you in the same 
um, let's just say vocabulary that you are thinking about it, right? A lot of times category names just don't come out of the blue, right? And I think when you and I were talking about this earlier, we said, hey, should we go through the education process of helping somebody understand what the category name is, right? So if you're going through that process, you've kind of introduced an additional element of complexity, right? Now you have to educate somebody on what this category is and why it exists in the first place. And then you kind of have to explain, you know, why did you come up with this name, right? I think a better approach is to have it um, work out naturally because when you talk to your customers, there are certain themes that are going to come up, you know, uh, very naturally, right? And, you know, for example, in Nutanix case, like hyperconvergence, right? You know, you don't just like wake up one morning and say, okay, this is what I'm going to call it, right? As you expand on your customers, as you have your early believers, early adopters talk about this, as you talk through with them about this, you know, their emergence there emerges like certain words, certain, you know, vocabulary that they use. And you're like, yeah, you know, this really resonates with, you know, what I want to call my category. So for example, in our case, right, in DataVisor case, you know, um, as a marketer, I'm always anxious, right? You know, like, let's come up with a new name. Let's come up with a cool name, right? But unsupervised machine learning has been in the market. It's been known by people, you know, people understand what it is. And when you're creating a category around it, you are probably just better off, you know, using a language that people understand, but educate them about why it is a new category and why it is different rather than trying to, you know, trying to solve for two problems at the same time, right? So, you know, and I think that's why it's very important to kind of, you know, have the rubber meet the road, you know, as a marketer, you have your value proposition, you have the problem statement, you, you have a perceived uh, view of, you know, how your solution solves for that problem. But ultimately, where, you know, where the rubber meets the road is with your customers and talking to customers, socializing these concepts with them. And when I say customers, you know, I'm, I'm not just talking about you know, your true customer base, it could be early adopters, it could be, you know, early believers who are interested in this concept, and just hearing them listen to your, uh, uh, you know, positioning and messaging, and having them kind of, you know, narrated back to you in a word that they think is, you know, is how, how a practitioner would use it, would be like a good starting point. And of course, like from there, you know, you hire an agency, or you do decide to do it with like internal resource, you have a good path. I've always found in my experience working with agencies, you always get a lot out of the agencies if you have done your homework, right? It's kind of like cleaning your house before the cleaners come, right? It's, it's much more effective that way. And so if you've done your homework, if you understand your product and why you exist and what your customers think about it, you're going to get so much more value out of your brand exercise because, you know, you're going to be able to hit the ground running on like all these foundational elements. Yeah, that's uh, so, so focus on the problem and the value proposition of your early adopters and uh, let it naturally happen. So, okay, well, let's talk about early adopters then. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Anthony Canada. He was formerly the CMO of a company called Gainsight. They defined the customer success management product category. He once said that marketers have to win the hearts and minds of their early adopter market. And you were sort of leading to that. So let's go there. 
how do you find your early adopters for that new product category? How do you win their hearts and minds? Uh, thoughts? Yeah, so, so let's, let's, you know, uh, dial it back a little bit, Rahul. You know, not just early adopters. I like to start with early believers, right? Because your early believers eventually become early adopters. And, you know, we talk about the heart and mind, but more and more marketing is becoming, you know, uh, uh, this, the science and art of marketing, right? There's a lot more science to it as we kind of unpack the art of marketing. And, especially with today's age where you have so many digital marketing tools and and for us as well you know we're a big believer in digital marketing and being in the big data space and being in the um, ai and machine learning space you you know there is just so much intelligence that you can derive from the digital data and which is where you need to like start with because early believers by the nature of you know who they are you know are clearly visionaries they are innovators they're looking at the next best thing hey guess what that's exactly what you are as an entrepreneur right i mean the 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 characteristics that made you you know come up with a product that's transformational is also the reason why they are looking for something that's transformative, that's innovative that's kind of next generation so how do you really capture those people you know and this is where I think knowing your data, building a framework for understanding that data, creating intelligence from that data is really, really important, right? So in our case, we actually look at, like I said, you know, early adopters. And a lot of times I find within our own pipeline, when I unpack about, you know, not just going back to when they became an MQL, for example, you know, very tactically speaking, a lot of times you look at, you know, you start in an MQL and you're like, okay, you know, uh, how do they convert and how do they enter my sales pipeline? I tend to go back, you know, a couple of years, right? Like when was the first time we actually talked to them? And what I find is very interestingly, a lot of the our prospect, our today our customers actually started with us like two years back, right? Like they would have talked to us, they would have engaged with us, and you know there there's some dormant time when nothing really happens, but then they come back and then they start engaging with us, enter the sales pipeline, and you know ultimately result in a sale. So how can you find those early believers? Because clearly the people who very first came to you, even before they decided to buy, you know are those early believers they believed in your product or well let me take that back even if they didn't believe in your product they were interested in the concept of your product they were clearly you know um uh, visionaries enough to see that you're doing something different and now they've left a breadcrumb right like they've left a trail for you and as you know as we talk about the science of marketing, the question really here is, you know, how do you take that crumb and craft it into, you know, a journey, right? You talk, you know, you, you know that there is an early believer and how do you nurture them enough to become an early adopter? So in my view, nurture is not just when people raise their hands and says, hey, I want to engage with you. Nurture starts even before that. And what do you cater to these early uh, believers, right? Like what, I mean, clearly, you know, you can't do like, um, you know, old school uh, white papers or, you know, eBooks, like like traditional uh, content um, 
you know, pieces or content categories, but how do you really inspire those people to become believers, you know, to take that leap of faith and, and, you know, and raise their hands and says, Hey, you know, I really believe in what you're doing and I want to be an early adopter. So, you know, definitely content is a piece of it. The other thing is like, where do you find these kind of people, right? There are a lot of things, again, you know, trails that these people leave behind. Um, in our case, we actually launched a series called the Defend webinar, which really talks about, you know, visionaries in the cybersecurity and the AI space, just talking about the future of fraud and risk. You know, this has nothing to do with MQLing, nothing to do with conversion. It's just a happy, fun conversation between experts in the market talking about what is the future. And we've seen a huge response to it last summer, particularly as events um, went away and you know we couldn't really meet anybody in person. And so, you know, part of it is um, you know, using existing uh, channels and content to you know find that trail. The other option is create a trail, right? Create, you know, like a defend event as an example, but you could do other things, you know, create something that they would find interesting enough to say, hey, you know, I want to be a part of it, right? And and eventually, you know, their heart and mind, as you kind of, so to speak, is really inspiration. How do you build their heart and mind? They want to be inspired and you know they want to be inspired because they are clearly innovative in the space who have been reacting to the trail that you've been leaving behind. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. And I think it speaks to the need to the authenticity that you need. And also getting the early believers, as you call them, and early adopters to uh, sort of, uh, you know, become birds of a flock. But you have to start somewhere. So how do you build that mind share and stickiness? Uh, you know, a startup, uh, or a new solution is likely to be a small component of the customer's larger universe of problems and projects. How do you make your company, your technology, your product and service relevant, something they really care about and build credibility around it? Yeah, you, you actually touch on a very interesting word there, Rahul, credibility, right? Especially, you know, uh, a, a startup, uh, when you're coming up with uh, new products and particularly in this case i mean we're talking about category defining products credibility is is a huge factor in building up that uh, early believer um, cohort right and what really builds credibility i mean you know it it's really your domain knowledge and if you see um, if you see the recent trends, more and more marketing is, is geared towards domain experts, right? Like as in my case, just taking my, you know, taking my career as an example, uh, you know, I was never a marketer before, but I came from Visa and hence I had a very strong uh, background in payments. And hence, you know, when we, uh, you know, and, and a big part of our client base is actually financial services and banking. Um, and then, you know, uh, who are trying to solve the fraud and security problem. Understanding this domain is really paramount, right? Knowing what your customers want, you know, either because, you've been in their shoes before or you've kind of worked in that domain enough to understand you know the problems that they are talking about because in a lot of cases it's kind of going to the doctor right you know you you have clients who come to you they are 
talking about the problem from their lens, but you have to interpret it the way you're trying to solve for a problem, right? Which is why they're coming to you. And which is why early believers become early adopters because you're able to translate what they are telling you into a solution that you can offer to them based on your experience. That's really what you bring to the table here. And, you know, knowing that industry, knowing, uh, I mean, not just the industry, I mean, like knowing the domain, right? I mean, you might, in our case, you might just be knowing about, you know, cybersecurity, you might be knowing about, you know, big data. So having that credibility of knowing the domain that you're in is a huge factor. And I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of marketing is actually trending towards that direction. And, and uh, being able to have that knowledge also gives you that opportunity to take a little bit more of a consultative approach, which I think goes a long way in kind of like, uh, you know, building up the credibility because at the end of the day, think about it, you know, it's early believers, early adopters, and they are taking as much risk as you are, you know, with their careers by adopting this product early. So the more you can mitigate the risk for them, because you know you have a strong hold of the subject matter here that would go a long way in kind of building that credibility and building that um, you know uh, trust among your early adopters enough to take that leap of faith yeah and i think more not just domain knowledge i think what i like about your background is uh, you're you're a data driven you know marketer and you know, I believe that data is a new uh, oil for marketing, and I think you you understand that intuitively. But let's let's double click on this area that you went. You talked about the Defend Conference and how that wasn't really uh, uh, an avenue for generating leads, MQLs per se, but to really connect with the early believers and and early adopters. So, how important is education? in new category marketing and is the type of content marketing that you need to do different than traditional marketing for existing categories uh, do you have to build a new playbook or can you use some of the existing playbooks for that um i think it's a combination of the two i mean you don't want to uh, you know, uh, let's say, you know, uh, lay everything fresh and new, right? I mean, not everything has to start from ground zero, but I think content is very, very imperative and education is very imperative in a category creation, right? All the companies that I've been at, you know, we've, we've created new categories. Education is a big component of it because education is where your early believers engage with you because they don't have the pressure of having to make a sale right and that that and that's why you as a marketer need to be able to understand hey what are the programs and the content that i'm going to create for my early adopters or sorry early believers versus what are the programs that i'm going to create for my early adopters and i think a lot of times this becomes very fuzzy, not just because of, you know, not just because of the programs themselves, but also because of an expectation, right? We always think, hey, somebody fills out the form, like, you know, I need to convert them, you know, into a customer today, right? And then this fundamentally uh, changes that paradigm, right? Because you do have to think about your early believers as people who are starting to build 
with whom you're starting to build that credibility, that trust, because you are educating them about why is this a new category, right? What makes it different? You know, what makes you different? And and going back to our, you know, what is the problem? How are you solving it? How is it different, right? You have to kind of go back to that fundamentals. And your education process at that point, as in the case for us, is the defense event, you know, is, is really about experts, practitioners, you know, people who are aspiring to grow in their career in that domain to be able to learn from experts, to be able to hear from experts, engage with them, ask questions, right? You kind of create that venue for them, uh, uh, you know, without the expectation that they need to like buy something from you, right? And, and eventually, if you do do this right, right, these are your evangelists, not only early adopters, but, you know, they are eventually going to become early adopters, but they are also going to become your evangelist in, in, in uh, spreading the word, right? Which is really what you want, because you want your pool of early adopters to grow. And the best way to do that is if you have your early believers kind of build this pool for you. So I do think content is very important. And, you know, of course, uh, traditional ways, uh, you know, white papers, ebooks, webinars, all of them uh, help because they do help to tell your story, to communicate that story in different ways. But I do think that um, you need programs that are dedicated toward these um, early believers. And in our case, actually, both our uh, uh, founders are PhDs. And every now and then um, I would ask them to just give a CEO or a CTO perspective, right? This has like nothing to do with um, you know, uh, uh, how you sell, uh, you know, what is the problem that you solve, but just speak to, so we actually did a Quora forum last year, just educating people about unsupervised machine learning, right? We had a lot of students who actually joined this and, you know, our CTO really enjoyed it because it kind of took her back to, you know, her grad student days and, you know, she was actually able to educate somebody on, you know, why this is very transformational. And so, you know, I think that level of education needs to happen, you know, at, at the very early stage as you kind of think about this category because a lot of times, where you get an idea of category creation. And to, to our point earlier about what is even the category name actually comes from these early believers because, because they don't have the pressure you know, to be in a sales cycle. They are much more open to sharing information. And you know, it, 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 the knowledge is a two-way exchange, which can really go a long way in kind of defining or you know, uh, solidifying what your category is and how you can position yourself, whether it's a new category or an existing category. Right, so we, we, we talked about uh, what, how to think about what to call it. We talked a lot about uh, how to find your early believers and converting them into early adopters, uh, a lot of it using digital techniques. We talked about the authenticity need for educating the marketing, having a conversation uh, and authenticity. Let's say you've done all of that. How do you know that you're being successful with your tactics? Uh, are there metrics that you look at that inform you that you're on the right track? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think metrics is, is the foundation of today's marketing, or I wouldn't say foundation, it's fundamental. Let's say it's fundamental, right? As we kind of go into 
digital marketing and you know having this uh, proliferation of channels and social media i think metrics is very very important and you know i i won't talk a lot about conventional metrics because i think we all know about it you know leads to mqls mqls to conversion rates and how do they enter into the pipeline i mean those are all hard fundamental metrics right i don't think any of us are going to get around it and i think it's very important obviously it's very important to like you know be able to uh, uh, measure those metrics but those are the obvious ones right and where i would think metrics are even more important is you know is the not so obvious ones which is being able to understand and build a framework around who are your early believers and even if they are not your early believers let's say we're not even talking about category creation you still need to know hey uh, as in the example i said earlier where you know we found that uh, many prospects who had engaged with us two years back eventually came back reengaged with us got into a uh, you know a sales cycle and eventually uh, eventually ended up being our customers right so how do you build a framework for those early seekers early adopters we talked about the fact that they actually leave you know trails behind and how do you take those trails how in and what kind of metrics do you uh, uh, see in those trails and be able to create a framework and intelligence around it right i think that is very very important because that is going to be your you know let's call it pre mql framework right even pre mql you know pre lead framework so you need to have a framework on that how can i have a predictive model not just around your close but a predictive model around what my pipeline is actually going to be in um some of these could be you know very qualitative metrics in my case you know i look at my defend event and we eventually look at who actually converted i have like very soft metrics which i actually would like it to become more programmatic and more systematic which i'm actually working on right now um is you know how do i take my early believers what characteristic uh, you know characterizes my early believers and can i you know is there uh you know a, a common denominator around it and can i codify that common denominator and eventually can i have a predictive model around it so that is something that i've been looking at um that's on the qualitative side uh, or quantitative side and then there are a lot of things that you can learn from a qualitative side right so i actually talk a lot you know when we do content creation we talked about you know creating different programs different content of course we look at click rates click through rate download rates you know form fill rates and all of that but i also talk to you know people who downloaded it just to get a fundamental idea you know did you actually even find this useful you know what would be useful for you you know and remember like these are all the people that you are talking to again going back to our early believer poll right because our early believer poll will share information will share knowledge and that is where you get your ideas to to codify your um, early adoption um you know strategy right and so being able to define what those qualitative uh, metrics are and you know a lot of uh, companies uh, b2b companies particularly uh, uh, you know look at saas um, tools these days for intent data right like intent data is a huge thing and as i've been you know of course we also look into intent data and i've actually been thinking about it a lot of this um 
you know, uh, um, uh, early, uh, early uh, believer framework is really your intent data, right? And how do you collect that internally within your organization? So clearly, there is an internal framework and there is an external framework, right? And you're not going to have visibility into the external framework. So for example, you know, if an early uh, believer is also going out somewhere and looking at other content in the World Wide Web, you're not going to know about it until you actually buy third party intent data. But there are many ways that you can build your own intent data, you know, through your website, um, you know, through the content that they download. And a lot of times, you know, I would remember interesting conversation from conferences. So being able to like codify that, you know, can your salespeople or, you know, uh, internal sales team, like whoever is at the conference can uh, provide you that qualitative feedback that kind of feeds into your internal uh, intent model, right? So uh, I think all these, um, you know, uh, quantitative frameworks, which are based on data as well as you know qualitative conversation, can really build very rich internal uh, internal intent data, right? Because a lot of times your customers are never one and done. Because even if they don't buy from you today, you know two years from now they could be switching jobs, they could be looking for new solutions, and you might just like pop up in their head. And so, how do you build you know capture that intent very early on? to have your own framework and methodology that's successful for your company. And I think that is a game changer. Right. And, and can uh, social channels or communities play a role uh, in creating those sort of uh, early believers, evangelists, uh, adopters? Yeah, I think, I think it could, depending on what kind of product you have. Um, you know, in some cases, it might be very sensitive products, like, you know, in our case, it's security products. So um, there are a lot of communities, but they are very close knit communities. Um, there may be other products where, you know, for example, marketing product, where you might have, you know, a highly engaging uh, community because, you know, marketers are always looking for the next best thing, right? So, um, so with social channels, definitely, I think, um, there, you know, you get what you put into it, right? There are tons of channels. We have our own medium channel. We were actually looking at Instagram so we can talk about how data is beautiful, right? So, you know, the, the opportunities are endless, but I think, um, you know, before you kind of, you know, uh, um, go big on this, one thing I would advise is, you know, you know pick, pick your battles, right? Like decide which one is your battleground and you know and how you're going to uh, quantify the value from it and then that can be a good foundation as you kind of move into you know adjacent channels and adjacent engagements yeah yeah that's great so uh let's uh when you've done all of that you know a marketing costs money uh startups don't have a lot <laughs> yes, of money that's the unfortunate truth <laughs> so how do you create a category on a shoestring budget and can you use uh, guerrilla marketing or viral marketing techniques to give yourself a boost? Yeah, I think I think the type of marketing strategy that you use really depends on the type of company, right? So, um, you know, when you're selling to B2B, which is what I've mostly done, you know, you could try viral marketing, but a lot of times, you know, these are professionals, they do have a day jobs and there's only 
so much about viral marketing that actually works out. Um, but there are other cases where it's been very, very effective, right? Especially like in building brand. Uh, uh, and, and when you're doing, um, you know, uh, let's say you're doing events and you're going all out on events like my previous companies did, you know, that's a way to like make a splash and kind of make it viral. So uh, the, the best answer to this is, you know, to answer the question, what type of company are you? And what is your, you know, uh, uh, cultural DNA looks like? And, and it's not that you can only do one or another, right? I mean, you could have a mix of that. I mean, in your spectrum of, you know, how viral do you want it to be? Or do you want to handle like, you know, guerrilla marketing strategies? You know, it could be a mix of those depending on what your risk appetite is and what your cultural DNA is. And, and, um, and, you know, in a lot of times, there are really no one hit wonders, right? Because this is a B2B market, or at least like the one that I'm in, you really need to understand, you know, your customers and how are you actually going to be talking to them. Um, some companies might be very active on social media. And, and you could, you know, you don't have to have a big social media budget uh, to be able to play there, right? In our case, I actually get a lot of our internal um, stakeholders. We have a ton of PhDs in my company and we actually talk to them, we extract stories from them and we try to, you know, codify them, have them share, you know, engineers likes to share with engineers. And so you could actually make a big cohort within your company. And actually Nutanix is one of the companies that did really, really well, where everybody from like, you know, the CEO, to the grassroots are very actively engaged on social media, you know, being a believer, you know, talking about why they are a believer and talking about their products and how they're changing things in a very passionate way, right? And that can go a long way and you don't need any budget for that, right? You know, getting your uh, uh, employees to ra uh, rally around your the belief and around your product is, you know, that's just, you know, a natural thing. So, you know, and that really costs you nothing. So that's at the one end of the spectrum where you don't have to spend any money or you could go all out. I mean, you could build huge brands. You could go all out on events. You can, you know, you can have, um, you know, very interesting, uh, you know, networking events, you know, all these things, you know, networking events probably doesn't cost as much money as let's say an event, right? and probably fall somewhere between doing entirely organic social marketing to doing a big scale event. But there are many things that you can do along the way, depending on what your budget is. Because remember, at the end of the day, we're talking about you know, our early adopters, educating them, getting in front of them, and getting them excited. And there is really no right or wrong answer to it, right? I mean, you're talking to innovators, they're gonna like you know, the innovative way that you're going to reach out to them. And the more as marketers, we can put our thinking hat on and think about what those new experiences are. You know, I think that's where you're going to be really successful. Well, Priya Rajan, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed hearing your insights about new category marketing and experiences. Uh, it's clear that you have a lot of passion for it. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all of that with our audience and until next time we we will meet again at cmo stories thank you so much Priya. thank you rahul for having me here it's, a, it's been a pleasure sharing my experience and chatting with you on this topic if you like this episode of the cmo stories podcast 
please subscribe and give us a like or comment wherever you listen. And if you want to reinvent your approach to marketing and turn marketing into a revenue driver instead of a cost center, visit our website at fortella.ai. Thanks for listening.